Hello and welcome to the Game Dev London podcast. I'm your host, Anna, and on today's episode, we're discussing narrative in long-running games such as MMOs and live service games. And um, on today's episode, I have two guests with me who kindly agreed to share their expertise. Uh, Diane and James, uh, hello both. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? I feel like you'll do it be way better than me. <laughs> Uh, sure. Hello, I'm James. Um, I'm probably best known as Mod Raven from working on RuneScape for the past 100,000 years um, uh, as a sort of narrative developer there. Diane? Uh, yeah, I'm Diana, also previously of RuneScape. I was Mod Strike for about two years, um, did a bunch of quest writing for that, and I'm now a narrative designer at Splash Damage. How are you guys doing today in general? cold <laughs> it's good sunday afternoon nothing much happening it's all good fair enough well let's jump right in um so narrative design for like runescape uh is it much different than designing a narrative for like a game that has an ending Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you, you've kind of hit the nail on the head for, for why it's different. Mm. Um, I think the thing that people sometimes forget with live games is that they don't end. The whole point of the story you're building in the game you're building is that it has to effectively run in perpetuity. So you have to build stories with that in mind. It's not like a, a, um, a one-shot game like The Last of Us or God of War or anything like that. It's like, right, we can have this massive climax and then it ends and you put the game down and it's finished. In theory, with a live game, you never reach that stage. So that, yeah, that's the biggest difference between, uh, for, for the biggest challenge, I think, for there's, building stories for live games as well. There's another um, spanner in the works when coming to write story for a live service game as well, which is obviously, as you're right, like no ending is a thing, um, but it's also important that live service games need to be agile, they need to change, they need to adapt to what the players expect, what people want, what they want out of the game. And that means that your stories have to adapt and change. Um, you can set the greatest plan in the world, um, but it will <laughs> it will hit impediments, it will hit obstacles, it will hit uh, changes in what players expect, changes in what um, you know uh, the company expects, and that's when you need to pivot and change, and you need to adapt your story so it works with the new direction the the, uh, the game is going in, and you need to, be able to do it quite quickly as well, which can be interesting. On the topic of like never ending, like obviously when we read stories. This is kind of like the satisfying part of it being like you go through it you want to know like who is the killer at the end how do you deal with not having that in a uh, live service game so it's uh I'll, I'll jump in on this one but it's um it's a bit of a tricky question that because you do answer those sorts of questions so the contained story of like who committed the murder who did the thing you will answer those because you'll have those as contained things what you don't answer is like the whole story of the entire world you always have something to tag on have something to build the way i describe it is if you're going to answer one question you should give two more questions to people to answer uh, people to ask um, because with a live service game it's not about being told a story it's about living in the story living in the world um, and players want to be able to have a place they can sit and have a place they can theorize and talk about and get into those characters get into those worlds and have stories that conclude so it feels like the world exists but they still want to feel like there's 
always new stuff together. So yeah, that. Sorry, sorry the, the way that I like thinking of it, it's more like a TV serial than a film. Yeah. Like a lot of like I know it's a bit of a a dud note to compare games to film <laughs> or anything like that because it's a different medium. But in terms of storytelling approach, it is analogous. Because if you think about that, the cliche is soap operas. Like as soon as any episode ends on a soap opera, there's another cliffhanger and another cliffhanger and they, they read onto each other and it's how they can run for 30, 40 years. Yeah. Live games are kind of the same. Like you say, like once you finish one story, you should be kind of immediately setting up the next one to keep players, to keep giving players stuff to be interested yeah. in. And to, you know, like, like you say, to keep asking those questions and you know answering them within a season it's why a lot of games do seasonal approaches because then you can say right this is the threat for this year this is the threat for this season we've resolved that but wait there's more and then repeat 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 and being able to keep that going sustainably is a a challenge it's fun though you know <laughs> when it goes well it means it's, you you could do create this world that i like that difference between players being told a story and players living in a world that has stories going on I think that, that's a really nice difference to, to highlight. So, like, the main problems with, like, series usually is the fact that it's, like, first season is amazing, second season is, like, good, and then third season, fourth season, fifth season, it's kind of like everyone forgets about yeah. it because it is difficult to maintain a story, like, going, right? So, like, how would you, like, do you have any advice to people about, like, dealing with that? <laughs> how, how do you get a story running for years and years? So I've got an immediate bit of advice, which is keep your threats relatively grounded. The moment you go to the top tier threat, like you can't come back from that. Um, you can try, um, but if you've done the whole like, the universe eaters are awake to devour all of time and space. Um, <laughs> no, and after... fans will know why I'm doing that. <laughs> <laughs> after you've dealt with the universe eaters, um, and your next step is, you know, Bob who stabs the local butcher. Um, it doesn't have anywhere near that same sort of, you know, gravitas. People aren't that interested. There are ways of making it interesting, um, but it's much, much harder. Um, I think if we go on TV series and spoilers, um, one of the best examples for a TV series that just completely jumped the shark with it is Supernatural. Um, and what Supernatural did in one of the episodes is the baddie was literally God, or more likely the sister of God, who is effectively God. Like an omnipotent entity was the baddie. And then after that, they were like, oh, who's our new villain? And it, I, I watched, I think, the first couple of episodes of the season after, and the new villains were some English toffs that run some sort of magic country club and it's like I'm out of just no <laughs> it's just ridiculous and that's where you've got to be super super careful which Diana will know well sorry Diana. yeah yeah there is a bit of context if you're not into RuneScape um I was the the main storyteller for basically the quest that looked at that threat for RuneScape it had a whole season and multiple years of storytelling building up to a, a universe ending threat and then I had to make the quest that paid that off. And it was extremely difficult. I'm, you know, I'm proud of what we made in the end, but it taught me that that kind of threat, you know, the world is ending, the universe is ending, is extremely difficult to pull off for a live game because you don't finish it after you resolve that storyline. You have to keep going. And how, like your options there, the options I had to give the players there were either you defeat a universe ending threat 
and therefore any threat you face afterwards is just completely meaningless because you have defeated the universe eaters and like well what's the point of doing anything else now you know i'm the most powerful being ever or what i went with going is that you survive this and you make sure the least worst option happens to make sure that you don't end up like the threats afterwards still feel even vaguely relevant um, and the result of that, a lot of players didn't like that. A lot of players thought, oh, no, I wanted to beat the universe enders. I wanted to kill these gods. And like, well, if I had, you'd be complaining about something else. Like, it was the least worst option we had. But I think my advice in that situation is actually advice that um, I learned from our lead designer on RuneScape um, mods, Jack. I always get his name mixed up with his actual name, <laughs> which is a scope out the consequences of the stories you want to tell within the context of your live game before you decide to make them. Um, and also, you know, balance that against the pivots and the agile nature of these games that you need to, to bear in mind. Um, but make sure that the stories you want to tell are the kind of stories you can tell within the game you are, you are using, because not all games can tell all <laughs> stories. <laughs> There's an additional bit as well, which is quite interesting, which is the problem with a live service game and storytelling is, is that people know a live service game is a live service game. They know it's going to continue. They know that, you know, uh, uh, the income of the game is based on it continuing and running and you paying subscription, MTX, whatever it is that you, you're paying. So if you have a universe ending threat, everyone knows full well the universe is not going to end. They know for well you are not going to destroy huge chunks of the game. You're not going to wipe out um, loads of existing game content because people want to be able to access and play that content. And you know you don't delete content from your game if you can help it because people, someone, someone will like it. And if you can keep it, you can keep it. Um, so this is this is a problem that we had with with RuneScape again, with this uh, when we had this threat of uh, uh, the best example I have is we did a world event. So a world event is like a time limited event where loads of stuff happened all the players get together do a thing and there's a narrative associated with it and this world event was tusker is coming and tusker was this this god who is basically this big sort of bestial animal creature and and what tusker does is tusker turns up a planet and sort of smashes it to pieces and keeps on going um and so that was what tusker represent they are a threat they're a world ending threat uh and players had limited time to solve this world ending threat or the world will end except of course the world was never going to end and players knew the world was never going to end. So a huge chunk of what, so what some players tried to do is to try and make the world end to see what would happen. <laughs> Cause I think we did have plans to disable a bunch of stuff, but it was merely, mostly it was cosmetic. It was like adding damage to the area, maybe kill off a couple of, you know, relatively useless NPCs. But in terms of game content, you can't actually remove it. So from a player point of view, the world-ending threat isn't a world-ending threat because the stuff they engage with isn't affected. It's just a cosmetic overhaul. And that doesn't work for a lot of people. That doesn't have that connection, that spark, that kind of that feeling, which in a series is a bit, you know, TV series or a book is a bit easier to control because you can end stuff in those, right? You can 
blow up the world and have the characters exist on another planet or a uh, pocket dimension or they can go back in time and do stuff like that um they should never do time travel um <laughs> sorry we did time travel it was a headache Ugh, um, yeah no never <laughs> <laughs> uh, i would never recommend time travel to anyone ever particularly for a life service game do not do it do not do it it may I'm sound very fun, curious but don't. how you approach this <laughs> so we tried to do it with um uh, and I'm rambling now, I'm sorry, Diana, but we tried to That's do it right. with the um, uh, sort of time travel rules, um, which is that if you went back in time, then largely it would have created the timeline you were currently in. So we could do time travel, but only if it set up the world that we had going. Because, of course, if you say it changed the world and it doesn't actually change the world, it just makes a headache. And for a particular like an MMO, when you've got multiple players existing in the same place. Now, obviously, there's some hand-waving. Um, you don't expect all players to be at the exact same point in the storyline, um, even though some players very much argue that they are, which makes certain scenes very confusing. And they go, but I'm talking to this character, and you're talking to that character. They can't be both in the same place at the same time. No. Um, sorry, rant. Uh, so, yeah, we, we had to be very careful with limiting our rules so that it would set these things up and even then oh my god did it cause a headache because yeah. players would go well why can't i go back in time and fix x so it made it when we had our stories and we didn't give them the options of doing that so the example they used was um in our in, in runescape spoilers for anyone who's not got to this point in runescape yet for somehow um we killed um, one of the big three gods. So there was the three gods of sort of Saradom and Zamrak and Guthix. And Guthix is the god of balance. And therefore, because he's true neutral, he's everyone's favorite. Because sometimes he was nice and sometimes he kicked you in the shins, you know. Um, and so we killed him uh, to set off everything that was going up in the thing. And uh, uh, then we spent a good deal of time fleshing out his backstory post-death so that people could see what kind of character he was and learn more about him. And then so players, like, when they got to go back in time, they're like, well, why can't I go and save him? Why can't I go and warn him? Like, he's my mate. Why can't I? And then so that causes that kind of confusion because with something like an MMO as well, um, it's a bit like, uh, it's less like a TV series and more like running a long-term D&D game. Um, yeah, because, that's true, actually. It's more like... Yeah. You've got to you've got to give room for the players to make those decisions and the players to set things. I mean, you've got to be willing to change your story based on... Um, seeing how players interact and players how, how they deal with things like because if you're telling a story where you've made God Y out to be uh, the bad guy and everyone absolutely everyone is on God Y's side you can really try and go ham and say no no he's definitely the bad guy honest definitely but if everyone's pro that character it's generally better to go okay maybe we write some sort of redemption or some sort of actually they were secretly a good guy all along so you have the, 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 the players sort of um, capture on board with it. I've gone off on a tangent, haven't I? Um... I think what, what it, <laughs> it's all part of the, the, the scope out the consequences before you, you, you jump in. Mm. And this is something that comes up more widely in game development within narrative design. I feel like we're talking about a lot of negative stuff here, but just like mm. one last one before we start talking about how cool it is. Um, it's very easy in games to go, oh, wouldn't that be cool? Let's <laughs> make this. Let's, let's make this really cool sounding scene. And kind of the job of narrative designers is to make it all make sense within the world, you know, make the mechanics make sense, make the environment make sense and kind of wrangle everything into a certain direction. And with MMOs and with live games, 
if you have that compounding over years and years and years of layered on content, it becomes quite complicated and it becomes quite difficult. So planning ahead, scoping out the consequences and also being agile and responsive to, to what players want and what players respond well to. It's quite a tricky balancing act. Um, but the thing you want to avoid is just like this mess of compounded problems because that limits your storytelling abilities going forward. So how do you like keep track of all of the stories that have happened <laughs> over years? Oh, um, I mean, me personally, I just happen to have a good memory for that kind of thing. So <laughs> I just write it down and remember it. Um, things like player wikis are often very useful as well um because a lot of the times and i've seen this in lots of mmos same with warframe with destiny with world of warcraft and with runescape um the players who are really into the lore keep pretty meticulous records of everything on wikis and they're actually a really good dev resource especially if they're new to the team and they need to read up on an area that they're not 100 familiar with and maybe internal documentation covers it from a high level perspective, but like the, the particular details and how it links to everything else might not be comprehensively documented just because reasons, you know, for game devs, it might not be the highest of priorities because the development of the game is rather than, you know, sitting down and thinking about all the, the little consequences, but players love doing that and they love writing that stuff down and sharing it. Mm. So they're, they're actually, you know, player wikis and stuff and well-kept player wikis are extremely useful <laughs> when it comes to keeping track of the story. Oh my god, Players I love general, player wikis. Yeah, yeah. They can be wrong. Sometimes they do like assert things and infer <laughs> things that are just completely wrong. Um, yep. But that's, you know, the, the flip side of it. Most of the time it's it's pretty good. <laughs> it's not just wikis as well. Like players themselves are a fantastic resource for these things. And with the uh, the sort of growing media that people can use these days, like player law videos are fantastic there are mm. a bunch of them on on like youtube and whatnot and some of them get really really into it and there's a few um like law podcasts as well um that are worth kind of keeping an ear in um i mean you're right quite often they'll be very wrong uh or they'll go off on bizarre theories um although actually bizarre theories are a really good thing to listen into um because sometimes players will have a way better idea than you had um, <laughs> and an idea that fits what you've set up much better than your idea as well. And so that's one of the important things in a, uh, for a nav designer doing a, uh, a live service game um, is don't have a huge ego or try not to have a huge ego, which is ironic coming from how I presented Mod Raven to all the RuneScape players. Um, but it's important to be willing to change your ideas and listen to other people's thoughts and things and particularly players and go, do you know what? Their idea is better. Run with it. Because the story is better. How people receive it is better than I have this lovely idea. Um, we used to have the sort of problem back in RuneScape of um, in the olden days, like the very start of the game, there wasn't any kind of um, narrative team or anything like that. So it was all individual stories that people owned, uh, which meant that things uh, <laughs> sort of bashed against each other a few times and they set up some uh difficult expectations that to this day i think runescape is still not able to pull off some of them uh the classic one being every storyline ended with a complete new city like a brand new city full of content full of quests like every single storyline had them 
which obviously is a bit much, right? It's not very yeah. sustainable, no. Yeah. Scope out the consequences. <laughs> Always yeah. scope out your consequences, including things like that. And if it's Absolutely. not possible, don't do it. You That's know, an important like... thing as well. Don't promise. Like hint, step towards, don't promise. Hmm. Do you ever find that like when you hint and not promise, like if you hint at something, do people like expect it <laughs> or uh, do are they okay with you not doing it because, you know, game dev happened? It depends a bit on how you go about that. Like, so there's hinting and there's hinting. Uh, and the latter one is effectively a promise in disguise. Um, it's where you labor everything very, very heavily saying, oh, you know, it's, it's, you know, saying, oh, there's a pot of gold behind this corner. Legend speaks of a pot of gold behind this corner. Have you heard the rumors of the pot of gold behind the corner? If you can do that, behind the corner should be a pot of gold. Like, um, but if you've dropped a couple of hints that don't directly mean that, um, and you can have it lean towards, and this is the point, it's got to go somewhere. If you lead hints and stuff, they've got to be able to go somewhere. You should leave enough hints that they can be movable movable goalposts. And as long as they lead towards somewhere that is at least interesting, because that's the important one, it has to be interesting. You can't just resolve something. It's got to resolve interesting. It's got to resolve with at least people going, oh, okay. Like there's got to be at least an element of either surprise or cool revelation or payoff to it. Um, which doesn't necessarily need to be much in, in, a, in a lot of things. Like um, uh, you'd be amazed how many people are okay with hints leading towards what is effectively a bit of a dumb joke if you use it sparingly. Like, you can do these things occasionally, but generally it has to pay off reasonably. But you get, once in a blue moon, you get to troll the players, and they're okay with that. But it's got to be once in a blue moon. Uh, so yeah, you've got to, you, you, can, you can hint, but it needs to be a hint, hint, if you're not going to pay it off as a promise. If it's a promise in disguise, be ready to pay it off. And like Dan has repeatedly said, scope the consequences of your actions. <laughs> uh, like, how would you approach like scoping the consequences? Like, what is kind of your process of designing narrative? Do you want to take this, Diana? I, I can go first. So yeah. I think my, my disclaimer on this one is that I'm still relatively new to this. I've only been making narratives for live games for about three years. Um, so a lot of the time I'm still working out my processes. Um, especially when it comes to having a lot of control over the narrative instead of saying, right, this is the story that I just have to, to, to make work somehow. And instead of being given a story, I've only recently moved into making up the story myself. Um, that's kind of where I am in, in my career. Um, in terms of scoping out what it would do, it involves a lot of talking to other departments, mm -hmm. a lot of saying, how much work would this take you? Because game narrative is almost always in service of the gameplay and almost always it's sometimes there are games where the narrative comes front and center but most live games and most games in general we are a supporting department so we have to listen to the environment artists we have to listen to the animators and the character artists and everyone whose budget is much tighter than ours because it's very easy to say oh yeah we're going to write down all this amazing stuff and we're going to plan out all these brilliant stories but if we want a new world and the environment can't do it, they can't do it, you know, and we're the ones who are going to have to shift. 
So yeah, talking to everyone, getting a really clear idea of what's actually involved in the particular outcome you want to look at. And that can involve, you know, one thing I've done in the past is, right, this is a sequence I want to have. This is a story sequence I want. Let's storyboard it. Let's figure out second by second, moment by moment game design. What is this going to look like for a player? What is this actually going to involve in terms of assets, in terms of environments, in terms of what the characters are doing? Because you might need animation time for that. So loads of collaboration, loads of learning to talk the languages of other departments in to, to get a really clear idea of what's possible and what's not. Um, and more often than not, you'll have an idea and your initial idea gets put to another department and they go, no. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to go back to the drawing board and that happens. You know, you it's something that I think most game devs will be familiar with is that you overscope, you always overscope and then you cut. And you cut and you cut and you cut and then you make something that's reasonable and it might not be what you initially wanted but as long as it does the job and it's good and players enjoy it mm. that's a success from my point of view from a slightly um the sort of longer term look at things like Dana is very very right to the rest of it you plan it out you show it to other people and say can this be done and they say no you go okay sorry um <laughs> and go back to the drawing board but one of the things that um uh you should do for the longer term thing so before departments can actually take a look at all these things is be ideally set it up what you've got up with enough of the loose end so that you can rejig it redesign it um so you should always have an idea of where you would like it to go but have backup plans um so like a uh, classic example from runescape's history and this is any RuneScape players reading this may scream when I mention the name of this quest. It never actually got made. Um, but there was a quest called Rite of Passage that I pitched. Uh, and it's been delayed for another three years. Delayed for another three years. <laughs> uh, sorry, that's a running joke. Um, and Rite of Passage, um, I had the original idea. But because it was still not cancelled, it was only ever shelved. Um, the idea of it had to tweak and change. So I think by the end of it, I had like... How many pitches of it did I have? Some like eight or nine pitches waiting in the wings of like ways it could continue the story, but be varied based on how the game went. So I had the versions of whether um, the god died, whether the god was on world, whether the god was off world, whether the um, uh, story X had happened, story Y had happened. Um, all very high level view. None of them were in some great detail. Um, but you need to have that kind of sense of going, right, this could change and spoiler probably will change so having those to hand having an idea of things you could could flip because one of the important uh big words that you hear in in live development a lot is pivot um which is when you have to make a big decision quickly um and you have to change like quite a big focus direction what you're doing so things like um for runescape it would be we'd be working on sort of one particular angle like maybe focus on combat and then we'd realize oh god actually players really want um, us to focus on like skilling so we turn around to you know focus on farming rather than murdering one another and you have to have the stuff set up to be able to do that and be able to keep in mind how you can do that so having just a, a few quick we could do this prepared um uh, at the very sort of high level but when i say high level i mean like a few paragraphs are basically summed up because once you've got the paragraphs you can then go on from there and make it work um but having all that in place is a sensible plan it's kind of the offshoot of scope the consequences of your actions because it's scope the consequences of your actions if things go wrong or if things change because spoiler they will <laughs> and um going back to 
uh, like the conversation about like the world destruction and stuff. Uh, how would you? I, I guess like we we didn't like finish that uh, conversation, but like how would you deal with the players not knowing that uh, the world isn't ending? It's a tricky one because also I did, we didn't succeed in that in RuneScape. Um, I'll, I'll be blunt in saying that. Like we we didn't succeed in players not feeling that the world was a threat um, because they knew we weren't going to delete the game. Um, some of them tried to engineer it um, because they wanted to see what we would do. Um, so my 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 first advice is if you're thinking of that storyline, scale it back in some way. Think in terms of going okay, rather than destroy the world. Are there aspects of the world that I can damage or injure? Um, if I'm going to that storyline, am I willing to put that threat in, even if it's only temporary? So, like a good example being, rather than destroying the world, am I okay with disabling this very popular city? Like, if I take out the city, even if it's for just like a handful of months, which you could do in the background, you could use them to rework the area, right? You could redo everything, but you could take it out of play. That's suddenly something the players are familiar with and they've lost. Um, but you've got to be willing to do it for a short term. Um, unless you've decided you want to cut this piece of content completely, Camelot. Um, and <laughs> uh, then you can then you can do that. You can get rid of it. But um, yeah, you... you You've got to be able to to know what threat you can give them and what damage you can give them. And if you're unwilling to give them that damage, don't pitch that threat. Um, because also it's important that like those big world-ending threats sound great. Like you know the Marvel films are doing great with like all the big you know Thanos is going to click his fingers and everyone dies. Oh my god, the horror! Um, but it's not those that actually engage people. It's not the big world threat that people care about. Like people use the Thanos slap, snap, but that's not interesting. What is interesting is the characters. If you look at all the memes and stuff, it's about how you know. If I'm talking about Marvel, how Tony interacts with you know Peter Parker, um, how the you know the characters see one another, speak to one another, and that's how you make those threats matter because you make them personal. So if you're going to have big threats, you make them about people that people care about. So make a character that someone loves and then, you know, stab them. Uh, or or not. You could just injure them if you want. You necessarily have to kill them. But, you know, because these things matter. If you can make someone betray someone, that hits way harder than all oh, the world's going to end. Um, if you've got your, your bestest friend ever has now stabbed you in the bag um, and taken everything from you, you know, players will drop everything else to go after that. The, for the revenge thing like again test it in D, D first and you'll find like if you have an npc that everyone loves like bob the goblin and then bob robs you blind and uh, tries to stab you in the kidneys you get revenge on bob the goblin uh often violently but that's because D, &D players are psychopaths um uh yeah sorry <laughs> but yeah be prepared to if you're going to write the story Think about how you can actually deal that damage and what damage matters. And I would argue, look at the personal, look at the the, the human, look at the bits that where you can, you know, damaging someone's character is annoying. Punching someone in the gut, like emotionally sort of hurting them, that sticks. Like you remember those moments. Um, 
you know, people are, are emotional creatures and that's how you grab them. That's how you make those threats matter. You make them personal. Yeah, I think a nice, um, I'm just thinking about live games that do that well. Um, Warframe did a very cool twist a while ago that revealed something quite personal about the player character in terms of, I'm going to say spoilers for Warframe. <laughs> Quite a big one. Anyone who wants to just like skip ahead a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers for Warframe, but it was the reveal that the the Tano characters are actually children, and that your pilot, your operator within the like inside that war suit, is a child, which was a nuts twist, <laughs> absolutely bonkers. But it's that emotional impact. Because then you're suddenly thinking about the consequences of it and you're thinking about how did these kids get into that situation? How did I, as this child, get into this situation? That kind of emotional gut punch is extremely effective oh. because, you know, the world is ending yet again. Eventually that loses all meaning. Um, so I think that's a wider storytelling point as well. Um, it's not just applicable to, mm. to, to live games there. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's it, it's uh, getting that hook and getting that interest from people, especially if you want an emotional investment in your game. Is yeah, go for, go for the personal rather than the the grand stories because <laughs> you know you can pull off grand stories and make them personal, but I would argue that the smaller stories are more effective from that point of view. Yeah, like I think thinking to anything that ever had like a grand story everything after that kind of doesn't feel that good anymore because like how do you like you can't really like go so high and then like go back to that <laughs> yeah exactly right and like, I, I remember if we're talking about marvel i'll bring up endgame like mm. i remember watching endgame and thinking right that's that and yeah. you know it had reached the high point and i just had lost interest completely and they've tried to keep it going, from my point of view anyway, as a relatively casual fan. Yeah. I just don't care anymore because yeah. they've, they've, as far as I'm concerned, they finished the story in Endgame. Uh -huh. And um, that is something to be, to be wary of in terms of what stories you, you choose to tell within a live game. I think that kind of feeling is directly applicable of like how high and how intense do you want to go because your story is not going to end there. You know, like we said at the start, they are in theory going to carry on in perpetuity. So in terms of choosing what stories you want to tell, make sure you can pick yourself up <laughs> after the big high and then keep going. Um, and it, it is difficult. It's a, it's a really interesting challenge and it's, it's, yeah. it's as a, as a storyteller, it is a quite a different approach to how you're often taught how to do storytelling. Like Hero's Journey buzzer, bzz, you know, <laughs> it get, Hero's Journey is very rarely applicable to games anyway, but it's particularly not applicable to live games because the whole point of that is you go through crises to grow, to change, and to come to an end point. And again, like not having an end point really changes what the kind of story is. Um, and I think a lot of this stuff isn't formalized. You know, if someone was come up to me and say, okay, how do you do a story structure for live games? Like, there aren't really any. Like, games in general are a young medium, and live games are even younger, <laughs> especially games that have a significant amount of story content in them. 
So we are still figuring out the best ways of doing this stuff, I think, as an industry. Um, so, yeah, if, if there's any, like, aspiring live game writers in the audience who say, oh, yeah, how do you do this? I'm like, come back to me in 10 years when, <laughs> you know, maybe we figured something out <laughs> and then we'll talk. Or maybe, you know, go and figure it yourself. Yeah, or, you know, like, right, yeah, maybe you could go sort it out for us. But um, it makes it really a really exciting industry to be in because it's quite experimental. We're still kind mm. of like, how do we integrate it with mechanics? How do we integrate it with seasons and battle passes? And the, the, the tropes and trappings of live games that are becoming more commonplace as live games grow in popularity. Because, um, you know, they're an extremely popular medium. Sometimes people look down on them, but a lot of people play them. A lot of people really enjoy them because they are worlds that you get to live in and you get to have fun in. Um, so as we develop, I think it's going to be a really interesting interesting part of the industry to be part of mm. as it grows and matures and starts developing its own formalisms like standalone games do. I keep wanting to call like, what's the opposite of a live game? I don't want to say dead game because that just sounds really, <laughs> that just sounds really rude. <laughs> like a one shot or one and done. Like, like, contained like, narrative. Yeah. Contained narrative. That's a, that's a really nice way of putting it. Um, like it, it will develop its formalisms and I think they're going to look quite different to mm. contained narratives because the structure's different, the aims are different. It, it's it's really cool. But yeah, a lot of the time, I feel like I'm trying to convey concepts that I don't yet have the words for. <laughs> it's, and, it's interesting because most games do use, um, like a lot of the sort of live service games actually do use that contained narrative approach. Like if you look at like, you generally have like seasons or expansions that have a contained narrative within them. And they sort of bring it full circle and close of that narrative and then try and continue. And it doesn't quite work, I don't think. Uh, and I say this entirely because, of course, that's exactly what I did at RuneScape. Um, you know, it, it it almost works. It mostly works, but it doesn't quite work because you've got to have the concept of the whole arcing thing as a contained narrative as well. Because that is that is one of the big problems, just on a random tangent, but one of the big problems of live service games is they don't have a defined endpoint, which means quite often they don't come to an end, which means that you have this if you're not careful with your stories, you have a big kind of buildup with loads of secrets and um, plot hooks that you never, never finish. Um, uh, my favourite um, MMO uh, that I play is a game called The Secret World. And The Secret World is this lovely sort of horror um, setting, storytelling, really good game has its problems um and it's beautifully written i i we've played it together a couple of times and it's written. gorgeously written <laughs> yeah. but that has um like it's setting itself up for something quite big with a big reveal of the narrative the arc and stuff but it's very clear that they weren't getting the players that they wanted so they have effectively sunset it they haven't told us they've sunset it but given they haven't updated it in two years they've sunsetted it uh and that ends on like a literal cliffhanger it says the next stuff you need is in this location big spoilers we're going here next and of course we're not going to and that creates a sort of i mean we've seen it with tv shows right um there are plenty of tv shows that end on a cliffhanger and they drive people nuts um uh the, you know there are numerous ones so was it um uh reaper jumps to mind ends on a massive cliffhanger um there was a tv series called hex that ends literally with the world about to end and like angels descending and that just nothing <laughs> um that's just ended there. he just stops <laughs> literally that's it and you're sort of like 
what? Surely um, they got cancelled though, rather than actually end. Well, they they know so they got cancelled, but they got cancelled after they'd had their like third season greenlit. So they wrote their um, uh, the ending of season two, assuming there was going to be a season three. Um, and then the you know the people with the money went nah nah it's not making enough money we're not going to bother so they can't they don't finish it um, and that's when you finish it <laughs> like you you hope that there's a a writer or someone who really cares about it who will then like go on a blog and say well this is how it was going to end um, most won't particularly with games because of course games there's a lot of money behind games um, and people protect those IPs desperately. Um, so you don't often get that with games, but uh, yeah, you, you've got to be careful with where you pitch. And always try and have in your mind of if this is where the story ends, then it should feel okay to end here. Mm. Um, even though you don't want it to end, but if it's going to end, make it feel okay. Sorry, rambled. Uh, on the topic of like ending, uh, Diana, you mentioned something like with the Marvel when it felt like the end of the story. But it's not only like the grand narratives, like the grand um, high points that feel like it. So like, how do you make sure that all of your narratives that you're putting in the live game don't feel like an end and people do come back after that? So that is a very good question. It is, to me, about cultivating continued investment. And that means you have to go beyond the stories. Um, I think this is, a, this is, again, a general point about narrative design for games. It is, it is about a lot more than just this is the story we're putting in. It's a lot more about than, sorry, it's about a lot more than those seasonal arcs. It's about making a world that players want to keep coming back to about in terms of atmosphere and, and vibe. And it's about making characters that players like interacting with. Um, and this is something I think RuneScape did very well. Um, it created a bunch of NPCs that were just really compelling and really interesting to talk to. And you wanted to know what they were getting up to on a day-to-day basis. And you wanted to know more about them and to theory craft and to speculate about them. So that even though their particular story arcs might end and, you know, a quest series might end, you still want to keep talking to them and you still want to, you know, build a relationship with them, even though, you know, it's not obviously it's not a real relationship, but you want to feel like you're part of their world. And, you know, narrative design is a big part of that um, in terms of character creation and and what interactions a player can have with someone um and i think destiny too does it quite well as well like you from what i've seen the destiny community players just love these characters that they're part that they are sharing the world with and that contributes to you know a continued investment outside of um you know obviously there are other parts of live games that people keep coming back to there's there's uh new skilling methods, new rewards, new, all, all that nonsense that come with the game. Obviously, like those <laughs> narrative people, it's like, yeah, sure, someone else will take care of that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, in terms of like, how do you end a story and then, you know, keep 
getting people back in, which I think is what your question was about there. Yeah, so it's cultivating that investment, creating a world that players enjoy spending time in so that they, you know, they come back, they talk to people, they, they talk to characters, they, they like being there. Um, and that's just reminding me of a game that does it extremely well that technically isn't a live game, Hades, <laughs> which is a roguelike roguelite sorry technical the the <laughs> the purists will get me for that one roguelite that i does something that is basically what you what you want which is every time you go back to hades there's new things to do there's new people to talk to there's new story to uncover and that's the that's the thing you want right that that's what gets story people and people who care about narrative in is rewarding them for that that engagement and making sure they have the stuff to engage with they actually like to engage with um, even though maybe the story itself is is over for that season, you know, giving giving people kind of more outside of the individual storylines, I think is the the key there. Yeah. That part of that is knowing your player base and knowing what they want, and you know, like in RuneScape, it was post quest dialogue and extra secrets and lore dumps and books that people could hunt hunt down. Like that's kind of how you would keep the engagement because that's what people liked. It's what people found fun. Um, other games, other player bases would have it differently. You know, the, the project we and James are working on at the moment doesn't have a player base yet. So it was like, hmm, how are we going to do that? <laughs> Not quite sure yet, but we'll see. <laughs> um, it'll be a, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one though. And I definitely one of the things where what James mentioned earlier about being light on your feet and adapting to what players actually do in your game. Uh, is quite important there. It's the kind of thing of just to sort of jump in on that, but it's the uh, focusing less on the story and more on the world. Um, I think um, slightly begrudgingly I say this, but the FromSoft games do this quite nicely um, because, like, I've I've played Elden Ring a fair amount, and there there's technically a story, honest, um, but what they have is this really interesting world with lots of little bits and lots of little notes here and there that you can look at, follow, and start to piece together. And then you can theorize and discuss and whatnot. And like, there's there's numerous sort of streamers and, and podcast people who dissect and go on to, to go into it in great detail. But the actual story is relatively light. Um, you know, it's, I am person that has some sort of, I still don't know what a tarnished is. Um, and uh, I want to become the Elden Lord, because it sounds spangly. Um, and that's largely the story, right? Um, that There's more nuance to it, but that's kind of the story story. But it's everything else beyond that. It's like, who are these characters? Why does this matter? What can I pick out? Where are these things from? And having enough of that richness in, in your world to be able to go, ooh, ooh, and piece that apart and be read to be part. And it's about filling, uh, and this this may make some law players scream in horror, but it's about filling your law and history with enough holes for players to fill them. Um, enough enough gaps for people to see what's written between them, see what's between the lines that they can dig into and, and find out. Because if everything is very detailed and established, then people will read it. And they'll go, okay, that's it. It's, it's assigned. Whereas if people go, well, I've got enough of a hint to say, hey, I have this theory. And then you get those beautiful moments, which is where you sit in on discords where you've got the law players in and player one goes, hey, I think this character is secretly this. Another person goes, no, you moron. They're obviously this chicken in a hat because and they'll argue 
and they'll argue with random facts and correlations that make sense only to them. Um, the, neither of these will be the intended thing that was in whoever's developer's head that, that wrote at the time. But there's enough of a gap, there, enough hole that people can fill them and they fill them with the, their own experiences, their own conversations. They take the game outside of the game and they take it out to this community and then the community gets involved and you start to have all manner of ridiculous Reddit fights over stupid stuff. Um, that these random, beautifully insane theories that obviously we didn't write because we weren't drunk when we wrote it. Um, and yet... for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I would I would never claim for uh, you know mod stew to be so when writing law, but uh... <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all about making the gaps in it so there is always stuff that people can think about but it isn't necessary for them to feel that what they've been told is incomplete like it's it's a real fine line um and it's very easy to miss hands up i've done it quite a lot i've missed it quite a lot um but the times where it's worked it works beautifully well you've made a good point there about the community aspect of live game storytelling mm -hmm. as well um often because you are being light on your feet and because you are responding to the community uh, or not responding to the community, but you are kind of keeping track of community engagement as the game progresses and as new updates get added in. Um, there's a lot of opportunity for storytelling that involves the community, mm -hmm. storytelling that kind of reflects and respects what the community wants and what they are currently involved in and what they're interested in. Um, and you can do stuff that kind of involves a lot of community engagement like many live games elite dangerous is an example like i worked on that a few years ago as qa um most of their storytelling and story beats was done via kind of community voting effectively like how many people are going it was, it was all kind of communal in that sense and players would spring up in factions and mm -hmm. develop their own stories kind of built around their clans and their guilds that become part of the game law because there is a large evolving community associated with it um the multiplayer aspect really can't be overlooked like this isn't one person playing a game this is groups of people and guilds clans even just three friends whatever playing a game and that aspect of it is extremely important um and it's often why branching choice doesn't work in live <laughs> games. <laughs> Just a segue. Um, I, I because... assume there is a story in RuneScape for the branching choice. It, a, a little bit. I will let James handle that if he wants to expand on it. Um, but the, the, effectively, players often ask for branching choice. And I think players who aren't familiar with game dev will often say, oh yeah, we want branching choice because it sounds cool. And like, most games don't do choice very well. I will be a small molehill that I will die on the vast majority <laughs> of games who do branching choice don't do branching choice very well. Um, and it's often, you know, it's better to have a small number of well-executed choices than lots of meaningless ones, but that's a different argument. Um, but when you have thousands of people playing, like hundreds of thousands of people playing your game every day for hours at a time, you can't give them all unique choices and expect the game to be able to handle that. You will probably get a systems programmer knocking on your door at 3 a.m. threatening to kill you. <laughs> like it's, 
it's yeah scope the consequences it's it's not possible if you are like player choice and player agency and that kind of thing it's something i'm personally fascinated by especially how do you how do you even do that into a live game and the con the conclusion i've come to at the moment is that you can't really offer extreme levels of individual choice in a live game that you can in a single player game mass effect 3 was it mass effect 3 that had the three endings like there's a whole bunch of games that have right you make a choice and that decides your ending mm -hmm. can't do that you, you you could maybe do it on an individual level like sorry when i say individual level in this sense i mean like on a small scale level but big choices that affect the world they kind of have to be communal and kind of almost uh, democratic do most players want this or it's not the kind of thing your game can actually do if it's a live game um and that's yeah that's a that's a very important consideration remember that most most live games are multiplayer mm -hmm. and there's lots of room and opportunity for interesting stories in there but there's also extra constraints it's also worth noting just um in terms of how gamers think um which is that most of the games that offer the big divergent choices are single player games and the key important reason of doing the divergent choices so that you replay them um, I've, you know, there are various games I have that have choices I've replayed ridiculous number of times. But a live game, even games where you can replay the quests, you generally only get to do the choice once. And what happens is players end up in a sort of choice paralysis because they want the right ending, the best ending. Um, and I've known, so I, I, one of the examples I wanted in RuneScape is, in RuneScape is I put a quest in. Um, God, like a decade ago now. Uh, and uh, that had in it at the end, there was a choice. And it was deliberately a morally great choice. Um, it was that you could either send this character off to die with his people, because his people oh. were all dying out, um, or you could um, send him to go and be sort of locked in stasis with this mad scientist person who might be able to fix his people. So it was like, do you go with the um, sort of the happy slow decline, like you know, getting to spend his last few days with his people, or do you go the, um, you know, possibility of, of hope for people, but he will effectively live in, you know, stasis in misery. It's like a deliberately morally gray decision. Um, and what happened is people got to that and they stopped playing. Um, and they just did not advance the quest. Like there was a good number of people that literally stopped at that point um, until they'd read guides, until they got a good sense of, um, you know, where it was going, etc. Um, uh, to the point that I had to, uh, as a developer, kind of point out that, like, it's not going to make a huge difference to to which your choice. Like, it, there isn't a right choice, is what I had to say. Like, both choices are equally valid, and both choices will equally lead to um, a sort of a resolution. Um, and when we brought the story back in, we of course had to, you know, do the whole bring it all back into the same sort of thing because, again, you can't make two entirely separate quests for someone who's done one choice particularly if they've got a separate thing because that that way madness lies because you know once you've got one choice that effectively means you've got to have four different quests after your second choice because it will just branch and branch and branch and branch and that's just not sustainable but players get like stuck with it because unless they specifically want a game where they're it's about choice they generally don't want it because games particularly things like mmos particularly things like live service games are a a distraction a hobby somewhere safe and relaxing to be it's the equivalent of rewatching an old favorite TV show because um, you've seen it before. It 
keeps you happy. You don't want the anxiety. You don't want any surprises. You just want that kind of comfort blanket of something familiar. And particularly things like MMOs fit that comfort blanket. You know how the game is going to play out. You you know your character inside out. Like you know where things go. So you want the stories to not necessarily tax you too much. Um, because otherwise you get to the point of going, oh, I've got so much stress. Even my hobbies are causing me stress. Oh, no. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Sorry, rambled again. I know exactly which choice that is, actually. From, <laughs> it's from one of a kind, isn't it? Yeah. And I can confirm I played it as a player. Really difficult choice to make. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good, though. I enjoyed it. Thank you. It was good fun. Literally, like, every time I have a choice in like narrative games, uh, yeah, I go to Google and see <laughs> yeah. how they end up because like, yeah. I'm not making a choice that is going to lead to a bad decision. Like, it's it's leading happening. to bad leading to bad decisions and like is this going to be optimal for my character mm. like long term is this going to get me an extra reward that i might need for a later update like choices are i could i could rant for an hour about <laughs> game choices like about how games do them well how they're done poorly mm. and yada 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 um but yeah if i i've seen pitches and i've seen people starting out you know making them making the mistake of oh i'm going to make an mmo for my first game which don't just don't um but you know it's oh i'm going to have an mmo and it's going to be narrative focus it's going to be granting narrative and i'm like i give you three months yeah before you realize why that's a bad idea i'm not saying it can't be done it's just difficult and narrative games, uh, sorry, MMOs possibly aren't the best choice of game genre and gameplay type if you want a lot of branching narrative. You know, that, that's that's not saying it can't be done. I'm sure it can. I've yet to see it done well, done well in MMOs. Um, but yeah, just, just like if you are choosing to make an MMO, I think this is a broader thing, just be careful and be mindful of your scope and the long-term consequences of those narrative choices. My general advice to anyone who's doing, and this is something I learned way too late, um, but my general advice for doing choices in MMO is let people choose who their character is, but not necessarily what their character does. I, the choice shouldn't be about how it modifies the world, but the choice should be how do I sound when I'm talking to someone? Like, if I'm talking to this character, let them be, uh, you know, overly friendly and polite. Let them be kind and, you know, this sort of superheroic type. Let them be a sarcastic asshole or let them be, you know, an evil, nasty person that's just like, I will murder all of your children, you know. Um, let people have that choice. Let people have those options so they can play the character they want to play. They can be the character they want to be. And then you can have dialogue responses that's based on that that will feel like you are then part of this story but it's okay for the actual event to all be the same just let the way the player experiences them in terms of how their character presents be their choice that's how i would generally recommend doing it because that gives you the choice that matters for something like mmo because again players don't tend to play mmos for the choice um uh, i don't think i can name a single mmo that's done it well um and that includes things I've worked on. Um, <laughs> but um, players do care about who they are. They do care about you know what their character is and how those characters get along with things. So give them, make the choice be that. Don't make the choice be big branching things. 
Yeah, I think that the role playing is an important aspect of it. You know, mm -hmm. you can give role playing choices. And again, this is a live game thing. People play it for a long time and get really attached mm -hmm. to their avatar and their character. And there's a lot of customization. And maybe they've chosen a specific class, like in Final Fantasy, and like, right, I am this kind of character. I specialize in this sort of thing. Some of most don't really have class based systems, but I know some do. Mm -hmm. um, allowing players choices that offer them that say, right, we, we see that you are this kind of player and we see that you like being you like saying these kind of things and you like having this kind of personality and then we reward that investment with here's the stuff we're going to offer you to say that fits with your character mm -hmm. that is definitely a good thing to do you know let, letting players feel seen and letting them kind of play they want the play and speak the way they want to speak within the world as long as it makes sense within the world obviously and you know there can be some limitations hmm. in terms of sometimes the kind of story you're telling needs something to happen and you just need to shoe or well, not shoehorn it in obviously but you need to be clever about the way you write it to get everyone into it even if maybe it doesn't quite fit their character um but yeah like a recognizing that players invest a lot of time a lot of effort a lot of love into their avatars is is extremely important um, it's not like Aloy in uh, Horizon Zero Horizon Zero Dawn. I feel like I've named the wrong game, no, but is that right? Yeah, that is the right one. Yeah. Brain short circuited there for a second. <laughs> Wait, where's that? <laughs> <laughs> but um, because she is a distinct character, and she exists externally to the player, while MMO characters are usually the player's representation of themselves and the kind of character they want to be within the world so respecting that and you know allowing for it and giving players the opportunity to to play that way is a a very key aspect of mmos and extremely important on that note, I think we're running out of time so let's <laughs> conclude here uh, do you have any last points to the audience on the topic or just in general scope the consequences of your choice scope the consequences <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you mod jack for uh, summarizing that in that because i think it's, it's something i'm going to take with me for the rest of my career it's so important um i don't think i've got anything specific that can't really apply to game writing in general um i could talk about this for hours so i won't <laughs> continue there um but yeah, no, live games are, are, are fun to do story for. They're, they're really challenging. They're really interesting. And they offer a whole suite of problems that you never knew existed before you even get there. <laughs> but it's all good fun. Yeah, and I would just tag on, like, if you're doing writing for a live service game, use your community. Um, don't necessarily, like, sit with them, get them to tell you the story, but hide there, sneak there, watch what they're doing, see what sort of sub things they're talking about and where they leave their knowledge, because they are an invaluable tool. They will tell you all of the secrets that you've forgotten um, and they will have wonderful theories that you can latch onto. And they'll also show you what people care about. Um, and that's the last point is probably the most important part because it's all well and good saying, ha ha, I'm going to answer this question from, you know, five years ago. That's really something that's been in my head. If no one remembers it, no one cares. It's not worth answering. Um, but if they have this thing that they're all going, ooh, 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 and you can answer that, answer it. Yeah, I think you, you are writing and the world you are creating is for your player base. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, that's something you should always bear in mind is that, especially if you're joining an MMO as a writer rather yeah. than building it yourself, like there is a player base, the game is theirs. And, you know, you write for them. You don't write for you, you write for your players. Mm -hmm. And if you make them happy, then you've succeeded. <laughs> that's, that's, all, that's all that's really needed. Very nicely said. Thank you so much, guys, for sharing your experience with us. Uh, do you want to share with the audience where people can find you, like Twitter or something like that, if uh, someone wants to follow you, for example? Sure, I've got Twitter. I'm uh, JS underscore Crowther on Twitter and Hive and Darkhearted Raven on Reddit and Tumblr. Yeah. I don't actually have Twitter anymore. I nuked it <laughs> fairly recently, uh, but you can find me on Discord. I'm in various game writing uh, communities um, and you can also find me in the RuneScape Discord. Thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, this concludes another episode of the Game Dev London podcast. I've been your host, Anna. Thank you very much for tuning in. For more episodes and more information, uh, please go to our website, gamedev.london, and see you here same time next week. Bye.